0: All right. Well, very good. Hey, everybody! You see the um, you see this little calendar on your seat? Everybody, hold that up. Put it in your hand, please. So, one of the things, you see, if you're still holding up, you can put it down. I just want you to hold on to it, I want you to look at it. Just because you don't have youth doesn't mean anything. The idea is this, first and foremost, we've given you this because we believe in caring for and praying for our youth, number one. And so, I'd like to encourage you to take this and put it on, put it somewhere where you can pray. Uh, As we begin to as as schools uh, winding down and students are beginning to take their finals and as they begin to think about the summer and all that kind of stuff. Timothy and our youth team are, are preparing now, preparing for summer so that we can engage your kids, not so we can entertain them, but so that we can have fun and lead them to Jesus in the process, right? And so I want you to take this this calendar with you for the reason that you can pray. You'll know exactly what's going on. You can pray for these events, pray for everything that's going on. If you find one of these things that you would say, my gosh, I would love to help out in that because you think it'd be be fun for you to do. Talk to Timothy and you can, pro- you can process that with him. And we want you to begin, begin praying for and really kind of owning in some level this summer the fact that youth ministry doesn't belong to Timothy and his team, but it belongs to all of us. Right? isn't that the idea of, of being in family together and doing ministry together, that we are encouraging one another, we are praying for one another. We want with, if one area succeeds, then we all succeed right, that type of mentality. And so I want you now just to put this in and begin praying over. If you have youth that you want to think should be involved with with vintage youth, then then take them either one, go make copies of this and hand them out, or just take this and hand it to somebody else. Else. and Timothy will make another one for you he 's got plenty right there in his hand, right and so we want you right now to begin to think about this idea of kind of owning our youth this summer. This is really this moment of, of coming together. We have a lot of our, our our kids who are stepping up, who are coming into sixth grade who are stepping in, and we just want to begin praying for our youth We want to see, we want to see God begin to move. we actually used the word momentum when Timothy and I met this week. We just said together, he, I said, I want to see momentum, he goes, that's the word I've been praying into, but I want to begin to see this momentum in our, and not, and not just momentum for our youth group, but momentum in the lives of our youth that has an impact on everything that they do, everywhere that they go, and has an impact on us here at Vintage. And one of the primary things that we've been doing, honestly, since since the inception of vintage is something called Youth Camp. And this year, you're going to see it right here uh, in July. It's July, excuse me, June 29th to July 4th. It says Summer Camp or, or One Camp, right? We have this One Camp. And we call it One Camp because. Different churches, three churches are coming together in one camp. And the beautiful piece about this camp is it's not just one church putting it on, but Timothy and, and David Scott and Kristen McClendon from Riverstone Church, all these three different churches have been coming together with a team and meeting once a month, once a, a couple of times a month, the idea of putting together this camp with the hope of having about 500 students come to it. And right now we have over 20 of our own students who are signed up and who are going. Now, here's the thing. A lot of you are thinking summer camp and you have automatically your mind goes somewhere with really, really bad cabins, really, really bad food, some bonfires. And it's basically a lot of that. Right. But the thing about this camp that's so unique is the unbelievable nature of God's power that always moves in it. The lives that are changed because of it. In fact, I've said before, and this is a true statement, our church is here today because 50 years ago they started the summer camp. People said we're just not satisfied with status quo, right? And they started this whole youth camp and God's spirit began to move in power and do crazy things and kids just... The phrase got on fire for Jesus. Right. I mean, literally, it was just an amazing moment, an amazing time. And so one of the things that we're doing this year is we want to we want you to begin praying into that. But the other part of it this morning, I'm just going to go ahead and say we want to take an offering this morning for this reason. Camp along with other stuff. It requires finances to make that happen, specifically for our students. And so what I want to do this morning is this. And all the other churches are doing the same thing. We're one with three, three and one, right? They're all taking up offerings. And the whole purpose of the offering is to help scholarship our kids and our leaders to go, because we believe this moment for the, this camp and the other events that we do, and they are a launching pad for our children, one, into community and relationship with one another, two, into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And number three, we believe that this is the moment that their foundation is built for them to be in church for the rest of their life and be a part of the church for the rest of their life. And we don't want to create any obstacles. Can I get an amen on that? We don't want to create any obstacles for them to be a part of these things. What I would like to be able to say is to every parent of every youth and to every youth, finances will not be an issue for you to be in a community learning about Jesus and building a foundation to be a part of the church for the rest of your life. We'll help you. And so, what I want you to do this morning there's gonna, there is a there is the baskets that went down earlier. I want this morning we're going to take up an offering, okay? And I'm going to say this, you can, you, can, you can pray about it during service, you can do it now, we're going to send the baskets back down in a second. So the person on the end, pick your basket back up, pick it back up, alright? Now I want you to hold on to it, and while I'm teaching, while I'm speaking this morning, okay? Uh, if you feel, I want you to pray, and I want you to, I'd love for each of us to give something. I don't care if you give five dollars. I mean, literally, write a, seriously, write a one dollar check, if that's what God's saying. I don't really care what you write, okay? But I want to ask, and I just want to invite you and ask that you would invest into our youth this summer in the scholarship fund, and I don't want you to feel like, oh my gosh, he's being so compulsory and forced, no, I'm not forcing you. If you really, really don't feel like you should or want to, that's fine between you and Jesus, but I'm asking if you're, if you're willing and able that you would and that you would just pray God what would you have me give this morning put it in a check put it in a the cash there are envelopes actually in those baskets and you can just write on there camp scholarship or just put just put just put camp or put put, put you scholarship on there right or you can put Y period S to make it shorter. I don't really care, right? But just something on there that marks what it is. And while I'm speaking today, if you will, people, just pass those baskets back down. You give us the Lord leads investing into our youth because we believe that what we're investing into, honestly, is the church of today and the church of tomorrow. OK, so with that, you give us the Lord leads. Please, seriously, take this and you have two options Only oh, two options. You can't give it away. I mean, me, you can't you can't throw it away. You can either give it away to somebody who you want to get plugged in or you pray over it. I'm not going to make you pray over it every day. You pray over it as you see it. OK, does that make sense? Are you all all cool with that? All right. You're like, this let's, let's, you know, whatever, Steve. So anyway, um, good job. Thank you. Let's dive in this morning. All right. Uh, we've been talking for uh, last. We've been talking since January about about. Being led into our real life. This life that God has for us. This life, this, he has an image for us of what our life is supposed to look like. He says, I am moving you towards that. I'm leading you towards your real life. It's a good thing. It's powerful. It's overwhelming. It shapes his kingdom and it changes the world in which we live. And so we've been talking about this real life that God's called each of us to. We said our real life is made up of two parts. Being who God created you to be and doing what God's called you to do, being who God's called you to be and doing what God's called God's called you to do. So for basically four months, we've been talking about being who God's called you to be, whether you knew it or not. That's what we were talking about all the way up through Easter. Right. And this past week, this past Sunday, we shifted into into the doing part, doing what God has called you to do. And we look at the powerful life of William Wilberforce who was almost single-handedly responsible for the end of slavery and slave trade in England and their empire in the late 1700s and early 1800s. Then he came to Christ. He had this crisis moment, and John Newton looked at him and said, we believe that maybe you are the hope of the nations, right? the hope of God to end slavery. And he embraced that and then gave his life to do good works, right? That's what we looked at from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And we said that we are God's handiwork. We said we are God's poema. That's the word in the Greek, handiwork, poema, poem. That's the word. Poema is is the Greek word. Like we, we we the Greek word poema means poem for us. And we said that we are God's poem. We are God's handiwork. That we are we are we are God's work of art that He He puts out for everyone to see His goodness. We are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus. We're part of His family, to do good works, that God has planned. For us to do. And so the idea then as we move forward is that there are things that God's calling us to do. There are works that God has for us to do. And we said last week, I want to reiterate this point and make it very concrete. Good works cannot save you or make Jesus love you more. Good works cannot save you. They can't make Jesus love you more. But he does expect good works to be expressed for those who are in relationship with him. Why? Why? Because he did good works, right? All we're doing is what he did. He did lots of good works. He cared for the orphan and the widow and the leper and those who were hurting and the broken and the lost and all of those people. He gave his life for them in good works. And so we're called to do to do good works. And I loved I, I, heard a, I read a quote this week from Francis Chan. It was really good. He just said this. He says, Simon says, patch your head. And we pat our head. Jesus says, "Go make disciples," and we memorize that verse, right? It's that piece, right? That, that God. That Simon says, "Pat your head." are like, okay, pat our heads to stay in the game. God says, "Go make disciples," and then we learn it so we can quote it to other people. We memorize it, but the idea is there's a very. I mean, it's clear. He says, "Go." Go and represent a doing, right? Go make disciples. Go do good works. Give your life on behalf of doing something. We are called to action. We are called to action, right? And so we said it clearly and emphatically that as followers of Jesus, we cannot stand still and just watch life go by. We must be active doing the things that God has for us to do. This is our life. And so we ask the question, and we always ask the question, God, am I not I, I don't want to work for you to please you in a sense of like to earn something, but God, I, am I doing the things that you have for me to do? Because true love, according to scripture, is to obey his commands, and his command is to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors ourselves. God, am I being obedient? Am I bringing? am I bringing? am I being obedient here? Am I expressing my love for you? Am I following in your footsteps and doing the things you called me to do? we've been called to this to do good works. Now, with this in mind, I say good works and some of you automatically get tired. Don't you? Right? Because in your mind of thinking about good works, you think about Work. You think about things you have to do. You think about being tired. You think about the things you've done in the past for God, the good works you've done and how tiresome and how overwhelming that is and how burdensome it is. And you find yourself saying, I just want a break. I just want rest. Right. We, and we have these honest thoughts going through our head, this wrestling and the struggling. And a lot of us fall into this, like, um, this kind of earning kind of working for God rather than working with God. That's a very, I mean, if you didn't hear what I just said ask your neighbor and then I'll tell you again, because what I said is sometimes we get tired because we work for God rather than working with God. And that, my friends, is the difference between apples and oranges. Because when I work for God as if he is like this overlord boss of mine where there's no relationship in that. What do I find myself doing? Getting overwhelmed, burdened, and tired. If I'm working with God, I'm buoyed by his presence because he is doing the work with me. Paul comes, he says in Galatians 6, verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It does not say we will reap harvest over here to my right, because that would be awkward. It says we will reap a harvest. There will be bountiful movement of God's blessing into our life, right? Timothy, man, he got to harvest that right there. Got to get an amen right there. Hey, right. He got to bring her into his life. We get a harvest from God. Now, with this in mind, the thing I want us to recognize is that, that, that in our lives, in our lives, doing, that doing good works apart from Jesus will become slavery. But doing good works with Jesus will be worship. I stole that quote and tweaked it. Doing good works with Jesus is worship. But doing good works apart from him, and apart from his presence, it becomes slavery. And that, my friends, is where we launch this morning. Because so many of us, unfortunately, we have, we have shifted from sonship or daughtership into slavery and an understanding of our relationship with Jesus. And I want to say that I'm very sensitive this morning because I see that in my own life. And that when I, when I talk about doing good works, I'm very sensitive because I'm like God, we cannot degenerate into slavery because slavery kills the church. We have no joy. we have no passion. And so this morning we're going to dive into it and we're going to look at Revelation 2, which Harvest has already kind of preached to us and God's already spoken through her to us this morning. So we're going to kind of go to the next level with that and hope he continues to speak. So let's read it this morning. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 2, going to verse 5. Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus. Recognize this in the book of Acts. The greatest movement of God in any province happened in Ephesus. For those of you who've been praying for revival since you were like 10 years old and your churches have been praying for revival, the clearest picture of the, the revival that you thought about in your own mind in the New Testament is, the, is, is Ephesus. I encourage you sometime to go read from, from, from Acts, I think it's chapter 20, and, and read the story of God's movement in Ephesus. It says, it says and the whole province heard, right? The whole, the whole province heard the name Jesus, right? That's what, that's what you're looking for. It's like back in John Wesley's days where it said, and the whole island of England, the Great Britain, heard, heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ because of this ministry, right? I mean, this whole ep- revival broke out in Ephesus, y'all. I mean, people are doing crazy things. People are being saved by the thousands. They're coming in and burning these books of of witchcraft because they wanted to serve God with everything they have inside of them. Not because they were being told to do so, because they just felt compelled to do so because they wanted to to express their love for God. Revival broke out. Revelation 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. And have found them false, you have persevered, have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen, repent and turn around, and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. We should always allow the Word of God to, to breathe life and to challenge us both at the same time. Read this. It's just, I know what you've done. Right here, and this is a strong correction coming from Jesus to the church. And the message is really clear, right? You are doing good works. You are working hard. You are ultimately patient when enduring hardship. You are standing strong in the face of persecution. You have... Not grown weary, you have not grown weary in doing good and doing all of this, right? But you have one major flaw or one major hole in your life you have forsaken, or the Greek in here be you have let go of. You've let go of your first love. You're doing all of these things that are the mark of a healthy Christian life and a healthy church. But there's one major hole. You have let go of your first love. The thing I want you to recognize, and I think this is true for most of us. They probably had no idea they had let go of their first love. Like when when John said this and through, when Jesus said this through John right in the book of Revelation, that the idea was probably not to go, oh, oh, yes, God, we're so aware that we've fallen away. We're so aware we've lost our first love. No, isn't the nature of falling away for your first love that it's so gradual you don't really know you've done it? Like how how many marriages do you know that are like that, that are that all of a sudden they reach a point it's like go how did we get here, right? And it's happened in so many relationships. And so the idea for the church at Ephesus is I'm sitting there thinking they're going. Wow, they probably had no idea that they had fallen away from their first love. They're they're probably thinking the things that they're doing are the expression of that. But there's something there's something going on in their heart that Jesus sees that he's prophetically speaking into. Not because he's angry, but because he loves them too much. So let them keep on going down this path. Because how many of you know that when a car runs on fumes, it's still running and it's about to die. And so what we find here in the book of Revelation is, is Jesus finds the church at Ephesus running on fumes and they don't even know it and they're about to die. It's the nature of what happens for those of us who 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 are following Jesus and all of a sudden what do we find? Oh, I've been doing these good works. I'm so tired and I'm burdened. I'm overwhelmed. Oh, God. And we find ourselves pulling back from doing anything because we've been working hard and we just can't do it anymore. And you think you need a break. You sit there and let me tell you something. Vacation is not the answer because vacation is simply an escape from reality. And it helps for the moment. And you step back into reality and it's ten times worse. The, the answer to healing, the answer to restoration, is what Jesus is naming, saying you to return to your first love. Vacations won't fix anything. Retirement won't fix anything, Gary Givens. <laughs> he just retired. All right, I'm just have a hard time. The retirement, you know what I'm getting at? This nature of these things, they don't, they don't work. And Jesus is looking at saying, listen... You must return to your first love. Now, I'm going to share something with you. First love, theologically speaking, from those who interpret it, actually means two different things. I'm going to share both of of them with you this morning. The first thing, this is how most of us receive first love, is we receive it as an inner devotion to Christ. Right. We think about returning to our first love. We think about returning to our first love of Jesus, returning to our inner devotion, returning to this love that we have for him. Right. And this love is always characterized by an earlier commitment like. The love of a bride for a husband or a husband for a wife, right? We see this, this dynamic going down, this, this idea of spouse loving the spouse. We have that moment, that initial commitment, that initial just awakening of our emotions and our mind loving our spouse. We have this moment. It's a moment we can always return to. We talked about it here and talk about remembrance a few weeks ago. We can always remember and return to the cross of Christ and what he's done for us. There's this moment, right? And so the idea is that, that we have this, this, this love for our spouse, and we have to protect it from waning over time. And so that's how we interpret the Scripture. The meaning is simple. Without our first love being strong, active, and growing, our actions and our life in, in this relationship will grow cold, lifeless, will become draining. Right? The idea is an inner heart of devotion for Christ. And so the idea for us is that we return to that inner devotion. We return to the love. We remember, we, we think about, we, we go back to Jesus as the priority in my love for Him. Where I'm, I recognize He's working with me. I'm not working for Him. And so let's have this return to our first love. We, I always think of Mary, of Mary when, she, when she's sitting at Jesus' feet, just enamored by Him. And he says, Mary has chosen what is best. She's just sitting at his feet, receiving love from him, and loving him. And that's the greatest accomplishment that she could accomplish in her day. That was Jesus, if you missed that. I just said it and it came out, and I wasn't planning on saying it, I realized it was him. The greatest accomplishment, listen, the greatest accomplishment of her day was just sitting at the feet of Jesus being loved by Him and loving Him. Let's pray. I mean, seriously, that's it. The greatest accomplishment. How many of you live every day thinking you have to accomplish something? And your day is incomplete without doing it. And Jesus is saying, can you make me, your first love, your greatest accomplishment. Will you succeed? If you succeed only in that, it's actually been a pretty good day. Hmm. That was good. Thank you, Jesus. I needed that. So the second part of that. second part, the second interpretation. This is honestly the primary interpretation throughout history as they've lost their love for one another. That first love actually is a the love that they have for one another. So most theologians throughout the last 2,000 years since Jesus have interpreted this scripture as they have actually lost their love for community and family. Right? And so we see this, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to read these two verses, but in Acts 20:35, Paul exhorts the Ephesians to, to help the weak. Right. This is a, and it's the expression of his love. And in Ephesians chapter 115, he commends them for their faith and their love for all God's people. That's what he commends them for. He's like saying, you're doing a fantastic job loving one another. This is a defining characteristic of your life. Right. So Christian family, and we know this from Scripture Christian family and Christian community in Scripture, it is a central point of of Scripture, of of Jesus' commands to us. Jesus says that people will know that we are Christians, right? By how we love one another. He prays in John 17 that we may be, listen, he prays this. God, I pray that they will be one with one another just as you and I are one. How often do you pray for Christian unity and fight for it out of the listen, how many of you know that when Jesus prays something to the Father, it's a pretty big deal and that he wants us to give ourselves to it, fighting for it, praying for it, not being okay if it's not happening. See praise, Father, may they be one. As you and I are one, right? So if this interpretation is accurate, then Revelation 2 would mean that Jesus is saying his frustration lies in the fact that duty rather than true, authentic and humble love for one another is their driving action. Duty to serve rather than love for one another compelling them. Do you see that? Oh i 've got to go help that person move. I hate why did I buy a truck i've got to go help everybody move why well, I got a trailer don 't tell anybody you have a truck right Because you don't want to have to help them right The duty do- yes the duty. The duty. Hey, by the way, can I borrow your? No, seriously, this whole duty going on. Right. And so when we live in this, com- this place of duty driving us rather than the love for one another, it becomes overwhelming and burdensome and tiresome. Right. But if I'm allowing my love for God and my love for my neighbor to to well up and lead me in my life, then helping you. It will take time out of my day, but it won't be burdensome because I'm not doing it for you or for God. Or for God, but I'm doing it with you and with God. I mean, these are big words. I'm not going to lie. This may be the most important message I've spoken this entire year. I'm just coming in my mouth. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, this is your heart. Man. He's doing something here, guys. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not going to. Yeah, he's doing something. You listen to him, right? So the idea, again, being committed to one another. With a true intimacy with that person leading the way relationship with them, right? And so the idea is, I would guess, because the great commitment is to love God as your first love and love your neighbors. your second thing there's really I'm not an either or here, but a both and we love God. We don't lose our first love of Him, we don't lose our first love of community and family, a relationship with one another. We live in this place. And so either way, right, either way, in verse 5, John gives us gives us a he gives I love this. John actually gives us a three step plan to fall back into our first love. Right? I love when the writers do that in scripture. I love the context. And they say, Dude, this is what you need to do. And this is how you do it. I'm like, thank you. This is awesome. Right. So what he says is this in verse five, consider or remember how far you have fallen. Real simple, right? Consider how far you've fallen. Wake up. Number six, it says, "Repent and do works. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place." That's sobering. Don't 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 cut that verse out. I don't exactly know what it means. I don't exactly know what a lampstand is. It represents his presence some. We don't want his lamp. All I know is this: I don't want him to remove his lampstand. That's all I know. Don't if I'm as long as I do this, it won't be removed. I'm not going to spend eons and figure out what a lampstand is. If somebody does go read it, figure it out. Let me know. All right. But I don't I know. I don't want to lose it. So I'm going to three things. I'm going to remember. Right. I'm going to remember. Consider how far you follow. There's a self-awareness. I simply go, God, how am how am I doing in my first love? And I'm going to Look at my life and let him speak. You've fallen away. I love this about you, but this I hold against you. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. So what do I do? Repent. Turn around, right? Go back to. Go back to. What it look like in the moments of loving him most and having the greatest joy and delight in your life? What did it look like? Or what do you know in somebody else in those moments? What have you read? Go, when you've read from biographies that those who just love Jesus, what do they have that you're like, oh, God, I want, to, I want to come into this? So I remember and I repent. Look at my life and say, I'm not going to be status quo anymore. I'm going, I'm going to discipline myself to spend more time so that I can fall in love with you again. So I can fall in love with my neighbors again. The third thing is then you do Works. You do the things you did at first. What did you do before? Like, you look at the life of the disciples and the th- first time the, uh, the uh, Christians in the early church came their Jesus, what did they do? They helped other people. They did good works. Carrying, I mean, go read Acts chapter 2 through chapter 5. Look what they did. They come to Christ. They express their love for God. And they help everybody else in need. They do good works. They love God. And they love their neighbor. It's a beautiful piece the idea for us is there has to be a return. There has to be an awakening to our first love of both and a love for God and a love for people. Sacrificing our lives for God, sacrificing our lives for our neighbors. I'll be completely honest with you. You ready? I'm about to step on your toes just a little bit. That means if I don't like kids, I still sacrifice by giving myself in the children's ministry. I'm going to be honest, we have not served back there that I think there's an issue. Unless you have a physical reason for doing so. Why? Because that's our family. And we have a responsibility to care for them. We give to our youth. We give to one another. I'm not saying to make you feel guilty. I'm saying we have a responsibility to live in love with Jesus, to live, in, like, to live upward with Jesus in relationship our first love, to live in inward in our relationship with one another in every facet, and to live outward in our relationship with our neighbors outside who don't know Christ. There's an upward part of this, there's an inward part of this, and there's an outward part of it. And we have to be expressing love on three parts. Loving upward with Jesus, loving inward here, and loving the lost. Why? Because they're dying and going to hell. I mean, seriously. We got to love them. I mean, do you sacrificially love your neighbors, literally, who live next door to you? I mean, the ones you can't stand. We must return to our first love, and it leads to that. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, seriously. We have to have this shift moving in our life. Now, I do doing a share this morning. I love you know Jason Finley. Where's Jason? Jason's over here, right? I'm going to borrow his truck. Now, Jason, 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 and uh, I'm going sh- we're we're to share his story with you in a minute. We, this, we, did, we were going to do a video. It didn't work out very well, so I'm just going to kind of read some things to you, right, that he said. Uh, but I want you to recognize that Jason's had this shift, this change in his life. I would... Just